Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. My name is Aaron Pete, and you are listening to the Bigger Than Me podcast. My guest today is Jacob Quet. I have known him almost my whole life, and in this interview, we talk about some of the struggles we faced. Jacob has real character and a giant heart. It was a real honor to have him as my first guest on the show. Please give it up for Jacob Coet. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on first was because I really wanted to get into where this all came from and how we both started out. And I think that that's an important way to segue into why people should listen to the podcast. Fair enough. Makes sense to me. So I want to ask you, what do you remember from our childhood? uh, That's quite the question. Could bring up a lot of different stories. Yeah. What do you remember about trying to save the paramount yeah that was uh that was quite the project that we took on um i remember city council wanted to tear down the paramount uh and from what i remember it was an abandoned building um no longer playing movies i think at that time we were just starting to get cineplex Eagle Landing was under development and they're going to bring in Cineplex. So there's just no longer a need. Um, But there's a rich history with the Paramount. And I think for you and I, it brought back memories. Um, I know we were still kids at the time, but I think it, yeah, it just, it brought back memories to, to good times. And I think at that point in our life, uh, there's just so much going on around us that we wanted to hold on and cherish those good times. Um, so when city council wanted to tear it down, I think we wanted to save it in order to cherish those memories. So, um, what I recall is you and I going to subway, which we did quite often. Yeah, we did. (laughs) Uh, and we started to plot, plot how we were going to save the Paramount. Um, and we brought on some of the subway employees. Yeah. Um, and my memory is a bit shaky on it. I don't know how we got to this point, but we were going to do a fundraising concert. Yes, uh, I remember that. We were trying to figure out venues that we could afford. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, that was quite the experience because I had no clue what the hell was going on with that and how to to operate something of of that scale. And, I mean, we were so young. But it's so weird that we we thought we could do that. that We must have been in grade 11 or 12, and we thought that that was with them. Much younger than that. Was it? Yeah. I think uh, that was grade 7. No, 8 or 9. Okay. 8 or 9. So... Yeah, we were quite young, and that's that's a that's a big logistical nightmare for anyone, let yeah. alone us. Yeah, and uh, I think the thing that really uh, got us, which was kind of to my surprise, was uh, insurance for the venue. Right. Because I think we were going to be able to do it. We were going to use the Prospera Center. I don't think it's called that anymore. 
Um, and that should have been big enough. And somehow I, I can't remember the band. I want to say it was like Headley. All right. And, uh, some, I, I don't know how we got into contact with them I don't or if th- we did. I don't think we got in contact with them, but I think the publicity we were starting to build was working us to, cause remember we did the CBC radio interview. Yeah. I remember we, that. And then we had one with the progress and I think one with the times when the times existed, which doesn't anymore. I've found the one from the times. It's really, it's still there. Yeah. I don't remember the papers, but I do remember CBC Radio. Yeah, I had written in as a letter to the editor to the Times, and that yeah. was one of the points was that we made. Yeah, I remember that. I think that happened after we were trying to get the concert going. I think that's where people really started to take us serious. Yeah, because we ended up joining forces with that other group, right? Yeah, yeah. At some point that happened, but... uh yeah, unfortunately, didn't quite pan out, but it was quite the experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then going back to, what was it, grade eight, when we were in the stupid class for yeah. less intellectual people who weren't taking their studies seriously. Yeah, what a joke that was. Yeah. Um, that really turned us around, though, because after that experience, I would say it was a, a trajectory in a completely different direction. Yeah, but I I don't know if it was the class no, that put us on that trajectory. No, it wasn't that class. To me, from my perspective, it was Mr. Schmidt. Mm. Do you That's remember, an interesting thought. I do, do you remember, remember learning him. chess with him? I do I remember, remember him getting mad at us, like infuriated with us once. And he, he had had enough. And after that, I think you and I just started to respect him. Yeah, I... Uh, I don't really remember him having any issues with us, but I I do recall us having a great deal of respect for him. Yeah. Um, and I think that came from um, none of the other teacher. He just looked at us differently. And uh, I think he came to us with respect. And in return, we showed him respect. And there was this bond that was created. And, uh, and I think that also partially came, came because of us playing chess in this class. Weirdly enough, I think he really enjoyed chess and I think he really enjoyed teaching us. Yeah. I think I remember wanting to learn chess and I think you and I both saw the chess boards and we were immediately interested, but then he said, well, not until you get to work on some of the homework you've been neglecting. And from then on, do you remember in grade eight in what was it? Science or math? We would get the work done, same class, same time, and then hang out the rest of the class. Yeah, yeah, we would uh, we would race each other. It was it was this friendly competition. Yeah. Who could finish it first? Exactly. And we would just race through that, and we'd be done halfway through the class. I remember thinking, "Well, what now?" Exactly, and they didn't have anything for us. Yeah. Well, they thought we were stupid. But if you think back to grade seven, we were not those people. We were not the people trying to figure it out. I was always the person who was like, oh, we had homework I didn't know. Why didn't you tell me? Mm -hmm. And not kept in the loop. And why is it my job to keep track of it? And I feel like grade eight, we completely turned that around. Despite the class, I would say being surrounded by the people we were surrounded with were not a 
helpful bunch to getting on track. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I wonder uh, how things would have played out if we were not around those people. Yeah. And if we just had that support in regular class. Because I, in grade eight and grade nine, we were still kind of uh, being hooligans, if you will. Yeah. Uh, running around doing all kinds of stupid stuff. Um, so I wonder if that would have changed. And uh, I don't know if I would have wanted it to change. I agree. I think I gained a lot from that experience and from our friendship. I think a lot of the reasons that we didn't go down different avenues that are common amongst people in our circumstances is because we had each other. And yeah. we think about the fact that we really didn't drink until high school and even later in high school. And a lot of the people that we knew in middle school were struggling with stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Already. Yeah. And uh, even in high school, I even now don't really drink all that much. Yeah. And so... I think it's really important that we communicate that with people and explain and begin to give them the confidence to know that you can turn it around, that middle school, high school, those types of things, they're, they're useful to a point, but they don't define you. They nowhere near define you because if you asked, if you polled almost all my teachers, they probably would have said I would graduate high school. That was just the approach they had and I didn't like them and they didn't like me, a lot of them. Absolutely. I think that is also an important lesson. Um, it, the way I see it is it doesn't really matter where you are in your life. You can use that lesson and uh, change change who you are at any point. Uh, you don't have to be who you are today if you're not happy with it. Yeah, and there's there's a lot to that. And I think the one thing that we really lacked, it was role models. I really didn't. One hundred percent. I didn't find a good role model for a very long time, and even when I was in a relationship with Rebecca, it was, it was still feeling like there should be more. When I was working the native court worker position, it just felt like there had to be more that I could be doing even more than I already was. And when people are telling you day in day out that you're you're enough, you're already there. It's very frustrating when you feel like you haven't peaked when you're not there yet. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting perspective, for sure. Yeah, because I just I I look up to individuals now who are more open minded, and that's so important to me to be able to have open dialogues, to have those complex conversations, and to be able to have people to have those conversations with. And you're obviously one of them. You and I have always been pretty upfront with each other about yeah. our thoughts on a lot of different things, and we've disagreed politically. Um, about families and that approach, but we still talk. Absolutely. Yeah, we were strange children, that's for sure. Yeah. I think that uh, brings me back to the subway days. Yeah. Uh, really strange times when you reflect on it. When you think about the fact that, like, our daycare for middle school adolescents of, like, being 13, 14, we were basically hanging out at Subway, a yeah. sandwich shop, all of the time reading newspapers, talking to the employees about their lives. Yeah, that's what I think is kind of we're strange for for our age. Who who shows up to a sandwich shop and, you know, comes in, first thing you do is grab the newspaper. Yeah. When you're in middle school, yeah. you grab the newspaper and rip that thing open. Yeah. 
And, uh, oh, this is quite interesting. Let's have a discussion about this. Yeah, and disagree and have mm. our own perspectives. And I remember mm. discussing different positions we had. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it uh, very interesting times. It really shaped who we are today. I 100% agree. And I think that was the character building of when people told us that we, or when we felt maybe more so that we weren't smart or that we were put into a dumb class that we knew that that couldn't be true because we're leaving and we're having these great conversations and they're just not being facilitated in the school. Yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah, I had, I mean, I also had that, that problem in high school as well. And unfortunately you and I went to different high schools. Um, it's a bit of a shame. Uh, because I wonder how much more of a drive we would have today uh, if we were in the same high school. And reflecting back on on my high school experience, there was a lot of teachers who doubted uh, that I would have any success whatsoever. And I remember in my grade 12 year, I skipped a lot. I just was so disinterested with school. Um, and I needed to pass physics. And I remember, uh, I don't know, I can't remember his name, Mr. Holtman. Do you remember Mr. Holtman? I remember Mr. Holtman, yes, I do. Okay. So, oh, you know what? I'm mixing this up. I want to say this, was this grade 11? I think it was grade 11. Anyways, Mr. Holtman also uh, was working at CSS. And I remember going into my physics class. I can't remember the name of the teacher. Um, and he just, he did not like me whatsoever. He really despised me. I think it was just because I was just all over the place. And uh, I remember, I'm going to butcher this, and I definitely don't remember exactly uh, how he said it, but it was something along the lines of you're not going to get to hand in this assignment and you're going to fail and you're not going to graduate. And I remember being so pissed off and I left and I was thinking, man, these people just like, why hold me down? Why hold me down? Like it, it just didn't really make sense to me. And, uh, along with all the other life experiences, many of which you and I share, I remember thinking, you know what? Screw this guy. Uh, that just fed the fire under my ass to go do something to have a meaningful life. Yep. How, can I, how can I provide value to other people and in a way transcend the situation that I was in? Yeah. Yeah. How did you move forward from that? I don't remember exactly. I think Mr. Holtman came through. Uh, it's a shame that he's passed on now, but uh, he forced that teacher to accept my assignment. Really? And I ended up graduating. Really? Yeah, I think that was the one thing that was kind of holding me back yeah. from graduating. And I had other teachers like that in high school. I remember uh, our one gym teacher, man, she would just hammer me. I never really understood why it didn't make any sense. It's gym class. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I remember that with, it was like, it was grade 10 
and I had just switched over to Sardis. And I was really nervous. I felt like I had switched for the right reasons, which was I just, with our crew and how things were going, I did not see myself becoming something better going to CSS. And that was one of my main concerns. So I ended up switching. But I had this teacher, and I won't say her name because I'm sure she's still practicing. But her and I just did not agree. She would have these long vocab assignments where you had to fill out vocabulary and it would be like 10 pages a week and you would have Mm. to do the full definition and i was like that's way too much it would take some students like six hours to do and it was widely known within our class that it was unreasonable but they were all doing it and so i continued to say like no this this doesn't seem fair and this doesn't seem like a reasonable course load on top of the fact that if i read it and understand it better why do i need to write it down and so i had i wasn't doing well in her class And she had directly told my mother that I was not going to pass her class and that she thinks I have narcissistic personality disorder. Wow. Yes. So she was in the mood to diagnose me. And I went to the counselor and I said, I'm going to fail this class. And I don't think that that's fair. And she said, thank you for coming forward. We've been worried about this for a while. And we've been waiting for a parent and a student to want to come forward about this. Wow. So... Um, she said, we're going to have some talks and the principal is going to have to be in charge um, and kind of control the situation. And he said, the best you can do in this class, if you do an assignment, is get a C+. And he's like, I'd love to give you better, but unfortunately, based on the other information we have, um, we can't change any of your other grades on like your tests and stuff. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, that's fair. I just don't want to fail this class. And he was completely supportive. He knew that there was an issue with the, the teacher and not me. Yeah. Which was so validating. I handed my assignment. I worked really hard on it because I was like, you know what? This person's doing me a favor and I better take it as a lifeline. Yeah. And so I took it and he ended up giving me a B plus on it. Wow. Which really improved my mark. And yeah. it reaffirmed to my mom who's really struggling with the situation. You've got this teacher saying that your your student isn't acting properly. And you have my side of the story, which is a little less believable. The teacher is being unreasonable. Yeah. It was not a popular answer. So when I got that support, it kind of, that was a huge lesson to me in that the structure can have a problem. And it's not always the individual. Because your instinct is if a policy goes wrong and you're being held accountable, it must be my fault. Mm -hmm. To be able to bring it forward and have people say, actually, this is a problem with the policy and how she's educating you, not you. Yeah. It's a problem with the authority. Exactly. And then I got addicted to that, I think. And moving forward, I've always looked at authority with a question mark of what gives you the authority? Where's your jurisdiction lie? And Mm -hmm. why are you allowed to do these things? And not to combat everyone. I think I did that for a while. But not to combat everyone, but to begin to understand that all of these structures that we look at, they're man-made. They have flaws. Yeah. And if we're not talking about them... They're going unnoticed and somebody's probably being mistreated because of it. Yeah, 100%. And that uh, that makes me think about a time when you and I were in elementary school. Because we've known each other a long time. Kindergarten, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't recall what grade it was. Um, but I remember you had trouble with this one teacher in elementary school. I want to say it was probably around grade two or three. The Australian teacher. Yes. Yeah. yeah you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
I remember you telling me that she called you Dent. She did. Yeah, I remember that. And that's just so crazy to me. Even reflecting on that. Yeah. Like, what kind of teacher tells their student, their grade two, three, whatever, very young student that you're dense? Yeah, definitely not a compliment. No. So it seems like it's been this reoccurring problem for you. Yeah, I thought during elementary school, I can't tell you how many times those parent-teacher interviews just brought me and my mom to tears. Because it was like, nobody's nobody's got any hope I'm going to figure this out. And I don't know if you were there. You probably weren't there for grade six. But yeah, I had this other teacher. And she made my mom cry by saying, it's not looking up for Aaron. I don't know if he's going to do well in middle school. I don't know whether or not he's going to get through that. And I don't know whether or not he's going to get to high school. Wow. And now I'm this law student. Yeah. And people are saying that I should be doing these things. And I'm doing great things. But it's like, where are those people now? It's yeah. so strange that you can grow up with almost no support. And then on the flip side, part of the reason that I'm starting this podcast is because there's a lot of people you might not have known that had a huge impact on me. So, for example, um, you know Decades, yep. a local coffee shop. Uh, the owner was once a guy named Ron Laser. And so near and around my birthday, almost my whole life, he would get me and make sure that I had something for my birthday, like a piece of cake, a Rice Krispie Square, a hot chocolate, and sit down and ask me how I've been, what's going on, how are you doing? And thinking back on it now, it's like, it was such a small part, yeah. yet he was trying to steer me in the right direction, whether he knew it or not. Mm -hmm. People were trying to say, hey, I see great potential in you and you're doing good things in their own way. But yeah. it's weird that you can, people can knock you down so easily. You don't have to know the person to knock them down. Yeah. But you have to know the person in order to build them up. Yeah. If you just walk up to someone now and say like, hey, I think you're amazing. They're like, you don't know a thing about me. Yeah. It's, it takes a community yeah. to, uh, you know, you need your community to bring everybody in that community up. Exactly. what's the point in knocking people down? Exactly. And it just... I was listening to a video with uh, Joe Rogan and Kevin Hart, and he was talking about how if you don't leave this generation better than it was and improving it, and that's not, if you're not doing that, you're slowing everything down. You're the weak link in the chain, and you need to change your mindset. And that's part of the reason I'm doing this is because, to me, Ron Laser is still out there. He's still doing great in the community. And yeah. the fact that I have this story that I can share that can make him a role model, and then other people can look at him as a role model and yeah. people within his little community can start to understand this is how far it reaches is I haven't seen him in ages, but he still made this impact and that's still real. Yeah. And we need to have more of that and make sure that other people who are now 13, 14 can have some role models, some real people in this community in the Fraser Valley to look up to rather than having to look at people in Detroit or New York. Not that those people aren't great, but have local people that we can bring up yeah yeah absolutely and uh i'm kind of jumping ahead here but um i think that's a really important point and i think um it's it's the reason why i was my experience growing up and then the need for having a local role model for you know those those kids kind of moving into the teens um 
to have. And I think it's what made me so good at my job. Uh, Tell everybody about what Yeah, so I used to be a youth addictions outreach worker for a local nonprofit. And um, the focus of that program was to work with youth who were misusing substances and needed uh, harm reduction supplies uh, and some additional support. So essentially, uh, at the beginning, the purpose of my job was to go out on the streets and find these youth and provide them with the harm reduction supplies and start building a relationship. And through that relationship, you know, obviously no one person has all the answers. Um, I could point them in the right direction and help them along with their journey and point them to different resources that they can access and act as a support. Uh, There's many times I, I had youth that were scared to access certain resources. Uh, so I would just go with them because I was a support for them, somebody that, you know, they had a track record with that they could trust. Um, but it's kind of unfortunate. This program ended because there just wasn't as big of a need for youth harm reduction supplies, which I think is kind of a good thing. But um, we saw that quite early on. There was definitely some youth that really needed this program. And there was others that they just needed a role model. They needed somebody to help them along. Uh, and fortunately, uh, myself and my old partner, we were in a position to be that role model, kind of help them along with their journey, help them discover where it is that they want to go and, you know, just walk alongside with them and, and be a support for them. So yeah, that's very so, important. That's so important because there's just so many memories that I've, I've been thinking about with starting up this podcast about what did I go through and how can I make that relatable to people? Cause one of the things that like most people don't know about me is my childhood. That's something I've pretty much kept under wraps Yeah, and it's a very unique experience because I'm, indigenous my mom's indigenous i didn't grow up with a father Mm -hmm. and my mom has a disability the house was always a mess and there was no reason to have confidence yeah and my mom struggling with a disability her and i relationship her and i's relationship was always tough because we were both trying to figure it out and I used a lot of defense mechanisms to cope with with going through that. And mm-hmm. now it's time to let those stories go, share them with people so that people know you can go from that place to law school, to wherever you want to go. You can yeah. come from those experiences and still turn it around because it's really tough to think that you can turn that around in that moment. And I think both of us, for some reason, knew that we were capable of more, even though our home lives could be very, very tough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, at least the way that I look at it is a journey to owning your story. Yeah. And uh, being able to share that story so you can provide some value, some good. You know, 
okay, looking back, this is the shit I had to go through. And there's some value in that. And you can, you know, take that as fuel to do whatever good you want to do in your life. Or you can look at that and go, I don't really want to go down this path. Um, And, you know, these are the changes that I need to make. Yeah, because in those moments that you're you're trying to extract the value of the experience and every experience has a certain amount of value good or bad because you can you're either learning something or you're improving at something it's very rare that you can get nothing out of it and it's just it's finding the ability to share stories cuz one of the ones i was thinking about was how uber's coming along and how yeah. that's it's such a change in the game because when i was a kid um we lived on Cook Street. Yeah. And to go out and to go out to Surrey, we'd have to take the Greyhound. But to get to the Greyhound, we had to take public transit. So we had to carry three or four full bags for a 20 day trip into public transit. Mm-hmm. And we'd have to walk three blocks to get there. And then we would have to walk across the street, a very busy Luckakuk Way, very busy area. Mm hmm. And then wait there and wait in the foyer to get onto a Greyhound bus. And that's, it's just a completely different world now in terms of the idea of somebody doing that and you seeing somebody do that today that's a 12-year-old kid. That doesn't really happen as much anymore. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, well, there, there's been a lot of changes in in terms of, like, transportation. And I'm just trying to reflect on some of the kids that I worked with. Um, and thinking about how they get around and kind of trying to relate that to this story. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't have any, any clients that had anything similar to that, but I remember, um, working with some kids that would go out to the city just for fun, just to get out of town. Cause there's so much trouble here that they just wanted to escape from it. And just knowing how hard that was for them, uh, it it was, yeah, it was very difficult for them to do that because you would have to gather up some money, which very hard to come by, uh, and then hop on what's now the 66, which will take you to Langley, and then you can get on TransLink uh, bus, um, and then get to the sky training, kind of go wherever you want from there. Uh, but the problem with that is it takes so long to do it. And that bus only runs once an hour. And it, you know, I think it stops service. I don't know what it is now, but you're pretty much screwed if you did not get to that exchange by like 7 p.m. And then these kids are stuck in Vancouver. And that it's a whole nother world. Uh, and uh, like, what are you going to do when you're, what, 14? You've got no money, no no cell phone. Well, you have a cell phone, but it only connects to Wi-Fi. And now you're in, you're in Vancouver. You're in the big city. You know, you're a rural kid. Uh, now in the big city alone, no money, no really means of communication. You got to walk around, I guess, find the nearest Tim Hortons to get some Wi-Fi uh, just to communicate with anyone. 
And uh, yeah, it's it's hard for them. You know what I mean? Kind of went a bit off topic there. But. No, no, I think that's really important. And just remembering what we used to do and our experiences with public transit, we would get those bus passes just for something to do mm-hmm. in downtown. Do you remember? We just used to ride the bus, the public yeah. bus, just to see new things and have new experiences and try and make some memories. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. I I think perhaps I'm wrong on this or uh, my memory is a bit shaky on it. But I think the first time that we did that was what is now Kiss Radio, but it was a new radio station and they were going to play something like crazy. Like I want to say like 100,000 hours or just straight music or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and No uh, commercials. Yeah. And I mean... I'm sure we could have got our hands on a radio, but I feel like we just hopped on the bus just to listen to some music, yeah. go explore a little. I think that was one of the very first times that we did we did that. Yeah, and it was so important because neither of us were going on any big trips anywhere during that period of our life. Mm-hmm. We were pretty stuck in downtown Chilliwack. Yeah. And yeah. we tried to make the best of it a lot of times. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think... Uh, the first time I, I ever went anywhere, uh, well, I guess, I mean, when I was a kid, I went to Bellingham, but, you know, that's right across the border, not too far away, but um, first time I really, like, went somewhere far from home uh, was a family trip with my dad's side of the family uh, to a reunion in Winnipeg. That was, like, grade 11, I think, maybe 12. Was like in between it was the summer yeah um yeah and then the first like vacation i ever went on was just two years ago we'll be 25 this year wow and uh that was that was the the first and only so far uh yeah so it's so unique because other people it's like a trip a year at least and it's just the opportunity it's just timing for most people where mm-hmm. for us most of our lives it's been fighting tooth and nail to try and make something happen, something outside of the town. And yeah, you and I must have this town mapped out where you, oh, yeah. you could send us anywhere down any back alley and we know it. Um, whether it was through walking downtown all the time or now be driving everywhere and looking for new parks and new areas to walk and enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I think that's so important. And I'm really looking forward to having a lot of people on here to talk about their experiences and make it all more human than it already is because there's a lot going on in the world right now. These are very strange times. Absolutely. We just need people where we can take a little bit from this person and a little bit from this person. Some of the good mindsets in the community. Um, There's this guy, Brian, and he works out uh, in Hope for our organization and he's absolutely phenomenal. He works as a manager at one of the houses of hope um he's trying to help the community uh he does that job by choice he wants to try and make people struggling with homelessness their position better and he actually implements ways of doing that yeah but the other thing he does which i think is absolutely amazing is he opened up a laundromat in hope Mm -hmm. because they didn't have enough and it wasn't affordable and people who absolutely can't pay 
couldn't get their clothing washed. Yeah. So he opens up this absolutely phenomenal laundry shop that is very stylish. It's It's got a theme and doing all of that, trying to support the community. And then in the back, he has a small space that he allows unsheltered people to use to create wooden artwork similar to the one here Mm -hmm. and build them up through skills that they already have. And then he doesn't charge them anything for it. He lets them come in, work on their art, sell it. He doesn't take any of the profits, but if they can get themselves back on their feet with that approach, he'll open his doors for that. Yeah. So he's doing not one, not two, but three different things, trying to build up his community and trying to improve people's lives. Yeah. And I just, I, I want to get people in here who are doing those types of things who are going under-recognized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super cool. It's a beautiful piece of artwork, yeah, I have I, to say. I was very grateful to get it. Yeah, with the bears and an eagle and um, being indigenous, my first nation is Chihuahua and our logo is an eagle. So it seemed fitting. Very yeah you uh i don't know about you but growing up i wasn't really connected with uh indigenous culture yeah both of us are indigenous you're from stahelis yeah i'm from chihuahua yeah neither of us grew up with much culture no no not not much whatsoever um and uh it's kind of this weird struggle for identity I, I don't know if you can relate, uh, but you're just kind of struggling to find who you are and then kind of explore your indigenous heritage. And I've been, at least lately, trying to find out more, be more connected to that community. How can I provide value to that community? How can I learn about that community? How can I be more a part of that community? Exactly. There's subtle things that make you make it very clear you're an outsider. Um, the best example I can think of is when you meet most Indigenous people, they're all about who's your family and mm-hmm. how can we find that connection? Yeah. That makes me uncomfortable. I never succeed in those circumstances because it's so outside of what I'm used to. When somebody's like, who's your mom? Who's your aunt? Who's your aunt's sister? And it's like, all right. Like, I don't know all of these names off the top of my head and I don't even view things through that lens. So it's a huge, it's a huge thing to adapt to new ways of communicating and what's important in the conversation. Cause most people I talk to are like, what are you doing? What, what are you going to school for? What are you, where are you working? Those types of questions are the priority. But for a lot of communities, it's about who's your family. It doesn't matter the education or anything like that. It's who are you connected to and how can we build a relationship based on family? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how when you enter room and people ask you that question, who's your family? Oh, okay. And then as soon as they find out, at least in my experience, oh, okay. And then it's really funny when I head down to, uh, Stalo and I go in the building, uh, I remember one of the first times I went there, um, it was for a school project. Uh, and uh, we were supposed to interview the staff of Um And I, I remember them, we were asking them questions. They were asking us questions. I remember saying that I was indigenous from Stalis. Oh, okay. Well, who's your family? 
Oh, my grandfather's Eugene Point. Oh, Eugene. You know what? Hey, cousin. I remember thinking, what the hell? Yeah. You know, and uh, now I can barely walk in that building without finding a relative. Yeah. And they're they're trying to, oh, come over. Let me tell you stories. Yeah. And uh, I, I just can't describe the feeling that I get when I listen to some of the stories that they have to tell. Yeah. It's, just, it's almost indescribable. It's yeah. like I'm just connecting so much. Yeah, there's a lot to both of our histories that is so interesting in terms of if you both look at the history of the community and the experiences that Indigenous people had, I definitely think that there's some sort of disconnect because those stories, they don't seem as appealing to the general public as other approaches I've seen. Mm-hmm. For example, to me, I I relate a lot with Sean Anderson, who's the maker of I Decided, the album, and then I named the song Bigger Than Me. Yeah. After his song, Bigger Than Me, because um, he, he grew up mainly with his mom and he. Didn't know his dad very well, I don't think. And his primary relationship with it was with his grandmother. And I relate with a lot of that, but I haven't heard yeah. that story told the same way as indigenous communities we don't have those role models popping up the same way and the ones that i do think are those role models i'm going to have on this podcast yeah uh dave jimmy is doing phenomenal things for the community Derek app same thing mm-hmm. there are chiefs in the lower mainland i'm going to have on because they do have stories yeah and i think it's important that we hear them absolutely yeah. i agree yeah there's uh there's value to those stories. There's kind of, you can interpret them as you wish. And it really comes down to your experiences is uh, how you're going to interpret it and what value you're going to take from that story yeah. and where it's going to lead you, when we if anywhere. And we can't move on. We can't reconcile until we hear the stories and we get what we need out of them. And I'm hearing a lot of stories, which is great. I'm not hearing them here in Chilliwack in Abbotsford, in Hope. I'm not hearing them. And I think it's important that we don't just have them at a national level. We have yeah. them in the communities. Yeah. So you want to bring people on local and localize in the Fraser Valley? And continue to grow from there. I'd like to treat this like there's people right here in downtown Chilliwack to start with. Those people need to be heard first. Mm-hmm. Then we need to grow it outwards and we need to continue to hear from all different communities because it's not just a problem in Chilliwack or Abbotsford. It's a problem in Vancouver. It's a problem up north. It's a problem across Canada where we don't have the same level of role models yeah. as they do in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah. So what was it like growing up in your family? Strange. Strange. (laughs) I think is one word that sums it all up. Um, Really tough times. Really tough times. Um, And you you could feel... So my mom and dad split pretty much right after I was born. So I lived with my mom my whole life, my mom and my sister. Um, My dad was in the picture, but I didn't see him all the time. But uh, yeah, we moved around a lot 
and there was a lot of issues. Uh, and I could feel that my mom loved me, but there's just a bit of a struggle to express, express it. And even to this day, we don't really have conversations. Uh, I, I, we just don't really know how to communicate to each other, which is too bad, but I, I know that she loves me. Um, but yeah, there's just growing up. There's a lot of tough times. She was struggling with her own things. Um, a lot of which I think stem from, um, oh, now I can't remember the word. Um, the words escaping me. What's what was the experience? Uh, we're, we're just, you know, she had a really tough time growing up with her father, my grandfather. Um, and he is a residential school survivor. Yeah. You know, he's had his own issues growing up. Um, I've heard some stories, not all of them. Um, and then, you know, that's just been passed down to her. You know, she didn't graduate high school, picked on quite a bit as a, as a kid. And, uh, you know, she just left, um, from what, from what I recall. And, uh, she just kind of went and did her own thing. Um, yeah, like really, really tough times. Her mom didn't really care a whole lot about her. They didn't have a very good relationship. Uh, and, you know, I think, uh, intergenerational trauma there we go here we are wow um you know and i i think that's that's kind of i don't know how to phrase it how to articulate what i'm thinking that contributed to your relationship yeah yeah but you know yeah contributed to she just doesn't know how how to have these conversations like and that's just kind of how my whole childhood has been like it's kind of you know this broken family you know you love each other but you don't really know how to communicate and you're just you know just trying to find your your own path your own way way through it um yeah we moved around a lot and uh yeah just I, the early years, you know, kindergarten when you and I were friends, I don't recall where we lived, but we stayed kind of uh, stable, if you will. We weren't really moving around a whole lot at that time. Uh, and then she, uh, I remember, you know what, we were living by what's now the new mark. Uh, I don't recall the name of the buildings. Right, right, right. Yeah, I remember it. It yeah. used to be like a gas station there a little bit, right? And, uh... Yeah, there's a gas station there, but uh, I guess depending on where you're looking at it, from the left, there's these two white buildings, and we were living there, and things were okay, you know, weren't the greatest. Um, and then my mom, my mom met this guy, and whatever, uh, and they eventually got got married. And man, this guy was a total nightmare. Yeah, total nightmare. And we started moving around a lot with him. And, uh, he just, he had some pretty significant mental health concerns now that I think back on it, you know, significant enough that I I don't recall the frequency, but he was obligated to go down to the hospital to get these shots. 
so he would be somewhat stable. Really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember when we were living there, it was just such weird times. And uh, I'm, his son was kind of strange too. I think he was just trying to find his own way. You know, things weren't so great for him either. And uh, I think to compensate for that, his parents just bought him things. I guess they had the resources, you know, those kind of things were strange. So they just tried to buy his love almost. Um, and, uh, and I remember this one time that really resonates with me, uh, just how really strange this guy was. And it was almost, uh, I don't want to say it, it was like, a it was predicting his future behavior that was going to become very important, uh, in my life trajectory. Uh, I remember we were going to watch this movie and his son was like, no man, I'm not watching this. You knew I had already watched this and he's just freaking out, whatever. He's like, maybe like 11 or 12. Uh, and you know, he starts to pipe up. He gets pretty angry and, uh, they start fighting and he, I swear to God, he was going to kill that kid. He grabbed a pillow and was suffocating him. And it was like, what the hell is going on? He ended up escaping and he called the police and all these police cars descend on our house. And I can't remember if he got arrested for it. He should have. He was such a prick. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was an inc- it was this incident that resonated with me. There's more to come, unfortunately, with him. And, uh, I think one of the, one of the bigger stories, I guess, if you will, I can't, I can't really find the right words for it. That also really resonates with me. He would beat my mom quite often. Uh, and you know, I really hated him. (laughs) And I remember, um, you know, we, we had our disagreements. I would, I would just try and do, do my own thing at home, you know? read i was i was quite the uh the little academic back in the day before things kind of really went to shit and i just was just struggling to do my own thing and kind of struggling in school we like i said we'd move around a lot so i wouldn't really have any friends you know you'd show up to this new school no absolutely nobody and uh you know lots already going on at home you're a bit of a strange kid so not not too many people want to be friends with you because you're not like them. They can't relate to you. Yeah. Um, kind of jumping around here. But uh, this one time that really resonates with me and kind of set me on this path that I'm on now was, uh, you know, this one night. Uh, they had gotten into a fight. He was beating on her, whatever. And like, it just got totally out of hand. And I remember my mom woke us up out of sleep, like, but we weren't really asleep. Obviously we could hear what was going on. And it was like, we got to go now. I remember grabbing whatever I could and we're racing out the door. He grabs a bat, he's beating our car in and, uh, we hop in the car and I guess the neighbors are obviously like, what the hell is going on? This is madness. Um, And we drive around for a while and 
you know, just really crazy times. And uh, <laughs> like, where were we going? There's nowhere to go. Nowhere. And I remember <clears throat> we just, we had to go back. Like, just cool off. We had nowhere else to go. So we come back. And obviously, neighbors are freaked out. I'm sure he called the police too. So the police show up. And uh, I remember, there, you know, there's a, quite a few of them too. <clears throat> and they're like, oh, you know, we just want to have a chat with your mom. And I'm like, okay. Like, I'm trying to tell them my side of what happened. Because to me, this guy's like totally out of control. Like he is a bad dude. Uh, and, you know, I didn't really understand a lot of different things at the time, but I was like, something needs to happen to him. Like he's a bad guy. You know, here's the police. They're going to help us. That's that's their whole job is to help people, right? He's a bad guy doing bad things. He needs to go. And uh, they're like, oh, we need to talk to your mom. And I guess because she had left, they had thought that she was the instigator. She was the bad person. And she's kind of like, no, I don't really want to go. And I remember they handcuffed her, but it was like really excessive. And just just to get a bit of a visual, she's like, I don't know, maybe like five to hundred pounds. And they shackle her around the waist, around the arms, around the legs, and take her away. And we're left with this guy who I just witnessed beat the shit out of my mom. And we, he's, you know, beating our car, and he's just this fucking crazy guy. And uh, we're stuck with him. And he knows I don't like him. And surely he does not like me. And I'm just thinking, this is hell. These people were supposed to help us. And now we're left in his care. Like, this is a total nightmare. And <clears throat> the more I reflected on that growing up, I wanted to become, I, I had other experiences that I'll get into, but I thought about that and I thought about how I wanted to become a cop because I didn't want something like that to happen again. I just did not think that they did their job very well. Um, and I wanted to to do that job. I think it's an important position, but you have to do it well. Um and, you know, stuff like that continued on through throughout my life. Um, like in middle school, my mom um, wasn't around too often at night. She would go out, whatever. Um, and that was kind of the way it was for a lot. I remember my, that because I'd be over at yeah. your house and we would all hang out with your mom out. Yeah, so just kind of left to do my own thing and I, I think that's why nowadays I like structure I crave structure because uh, there just wasn't any I was left to my own my own uh, devices if you will yeah. Um, but uh, yeah I remember yeah middle school was pretty tough too she'd be out quite often I was left doing my own thing you know, you and I were in that special class. This is uh, quite strange times. And uh, I remember uh, 
she came home one morning uh, and I was like, okay, time to go to school. You know, some days we'd walk, other days she'd drive us. I'm thinking, okay, she's probably going to drive us. <laughs> no, uh, she had crashed the car that night. Uh, she had crashed into a tree and rolled it over. It completely totaled. I remember the tree. Yeah, yeah the tree. Uh, the tree, I don't think, is there anymore, actually. It was there for so long. I remember going past it. I would just think about that uh, every time I'd go past it. But uh, it's not there anymore, I don't think. Um, a local nonprofit, Ruth and Naomi, has put up a, a housing uh, facility there, uh, along with a few different partners. But... Um, yeah, just like really turbulent times. I remember tough times left, you know, to my own devices. I've got to create structure for myself. I've got to, you know, do all these things for myself because nobody else is going to be there to do it. You know, I think back like uh, at home, there's no structure. You'd look to authorities, you know, the teachers at school thought I was an idiot, hooligan, you know, no structure there. You go to rely on, on the police. I can't rely on the police. I've had bad experiences with them. You know, you start to think these people aren't here to help me. Yeah. Uh, so there's just nowhere to go. There's nowhere to turn to. And to be honest, I really don't know how I got to this position that I'm in today. Uh, going through all of those things, there's like, there's just no, nobody to turn to. It was a really tough relationship with, with my mom because... I just didn't understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. I, I always felt like I was getting mistreated. And when I'd make coherent points, they were going on deaf ears. Yeah. And so the more the name calling between my mom went back and forth and no solutions ever came, the less I was motivated to show any emotion. Mm -hmm. Because if she's showing emotion and I'm showing emotion, we're not solving anything. Yeah. And so it was like, well, she's not going to stop showing emotion, but I can. And we mm -hmm. can maybe make this more efficient. And so I just wouldn't give in to the emotion side of things. And then I just kind of adopted that. And I became a person who doesn't have emotions, doesn't show that. And yeah. that became like a, a personality trait for a really long time. Yeah. It was your coping mechanism. Yeah. Was to just cover that up and you can't hurt me if I'm not showing that I have any feelings. Yeah. But... Yeah, I would regularly call you, text you, reach out to you. It's like, hey, let's do something. Let's go for a walk. Let's. There was nothing at home for me. I didn't have a PS3, uh, Xbox for a long time, most of my childhood. So there was no escape if yeah. I was at home. It was, we had one TV. My mom was always on that TV. She was going through depression with a disability and she controlled the TV. So I knew I couldn't invite friends over and the only opportunities were to go outside. Mm-hmm. And so you and I, we were always out. We were always over at somebody's house, um, yeah. visiting with other people, being at their house. And those houses had problems too. We had mm -hmm. friends who they were getting abused as well in their own circumstances. And we were trying to figure it out because no adults were talking to us about, this is what you do if you see abuse, if you see your friends being hit by his parent. Like we saw, oh, there was a lot of different circumstances I saw that and we never discussed them or tried to fix them or ever try and stop them from happening. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely some, some tough times and 
to my mom's credit, like like I said before, uh, I could tell that she loved me, but there just there wasn't a way to to really show it, to communicate it yeah. per se. Like there's definitely times where you know things were really tough. You really didn't have, I, at least in my experience, I didn't really have stuff around. And then there's also times where, you know, we didn't go without and we had some pretty nice stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just very turbulent. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, stuff like this continued on pretty much all the way till grade 12. Yeah. All the way to grade 12. I remember grade 12 year, was pretty disinterested in school, skipped all the time. You know, I had law class, but... It was easy to me. And I, I think that's one of one of the other things that kind of reaffirmed the path that I'm on, you know. Go to law class and finish the work before everyone else. Okay, well and, and the teacher that I had, he would let you do work ahead. So I was a couple weeks ahead of the class. Yeah. You know, or like couple lectures or, you know, whatever we used to call them back then. Yeah. Um ahead of everyone else i already had you know future assignments done probably not all that good quality but you know it was done and in my mind at least it was it was pretty easy so i just i i didn't really like being at school um some of the stuff was easy some of the stuff i didn't like surely some of the stuff was hard um so i just skipped and uh you know there's lots of tough times with that and it, i remember my mom got this other boyfriend, kind of a, a strange guy in his own ways too. Um, and I remember the night before grad pictures, uh, you know, they'd gotten into a fight and I'd stepped in. And this kind of reaffirmed my beliefs about the police. Um, so somehow the police get called. I'm, you know, they're fighting. I'm like, what the hell, man? Like, you got to get out of here. You're no good. And uh, he starts to fight me. So we're fighting. And uh, the police bang on the door. And, you know, he hears this. He runs out to the balcony and jumps off the balcony and starts running down the road. And I'm like, what the hell? The police come in. And by this point, I know I want to become a police officer. Um for a variety of reasons. Um, but I'm still kind of being a bit of a hooligan and I just kind of also have this distrust of the police that they're, they're going to provide me with good service. Um, and I remember the cops come in and, you know, kind of explain to them what's going on fairly briefly. Um, and I'm expecting them to go after this guy. I mean, he's, he's fought my mom He's fighting me. I'm a minor. Like, you should probably go take care of this. Uh, and they just do absolutely nothing. And I remember going, what the hell? Like, you should really be doing something about this. Um, and uh, yeah, that again, just reaffirmed the path that I was on, that I want to be a good police officer. I, and I, I didn't know what it, what that was at the time. I still don't think I really know what that what that is. What does that look like? Because it's just so fluid. Yeah. What is good? You know, 
there's there's so many things you have to take into account. But it would have been nice in that circumstance that they just at least tried to do something. Yeah. And I remember just like pretty much just goes through my whole life timeline as a young person. And it's just kind of, there's good times, but there's also lots of struggle. Yeah. But thinking, thinking back and reflecting on those times, I am grateful for it. Cause I think like I mentioned before, just it put this fire under my ass yeah. to go out and do something yeah. to transcend that life. Because I don't, I don't want that for my future kids that's, whatsoever. That's, that's exactly how I felt because I have family out in White Rock. And the thing that woke me up was that this isn't this way everywhere. There are areas in which people are struggling and that there is a lack of food on the table and that there are problems. But there are other places in BC that that's not as much a problem. And yeah. So I would go spend time with my grandmother or my uncle. And feel, this is different. I don't feel stressed. Food's coming, and it'll keep coming. And yeah. the houses are worth so much money, and these people are happy, and they're calm, and they're just working on their garden, or they're cleaning their car, or doing just small errands. And it's a yeah. completely different feeling. I'm in this giant living room, and it's comfortable, and um, I have blankets if I want them all clean. all for, like It was just such a different mindset all the blankets at home need to be washed or they're in the wash and i'm just sleeping with half a blanket flipped over like there were real problems and mm -hmm. then i go to this other area and it was completely different and that's what lit the spark under me is why can't i have this yeah why is this and my uncle would be like this is probably not going to happen for you and it's like that lit the fire under me is you're saying i can't have this when i know it exists so i'm mm -hmm. going to find a way to get over there mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason that i'm trying to figure out investing and finances is because i don't want to be the person who figured it out too late and yeah. there are things that we know that we know that work and they're not shared with people you like if somebody walks up to you and says do you want to know how to make eight percent on your money you're like how is this guy ripping me off? Like what's going on behind the scenes? But it's a real thing to invest your money into ETFs and have it make a 7% return. That's a real thing that yeah. when you talk about the stock market, most people go, um, don't trust it, not reliable. And it's like, that's fair. There's a lot of aspects to it that are, that can be sketchy like anything. And, but there are opportunities where you can start to build yourself from here. Start mm -hmm. to figure out what you like and do it is something we always hear now but I'm not seeing enough of mm -hmm. the other one that I see a lot of that. I, I don't know if you remember this, but remember when people used to say you do the McDonald's job, a customer might want to hire you based on your good work. Yeah. You remember when that was a thing? Yeah. And geez, I'm not seeing much of that anymore. And I'm not hearing a lot of people admit that the jobs we need are everyday jobs and more complex jobs. And you can do a bunch of different things. And we we're still in this mindset of like, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Yeah. That's not how things are. What do you, what things are you going to do in your life is a way better question because you shouldn't choose between, Oh, I want to be an RCMP officer or I want to be a lawyer. It's like, well, how can you get a bit of both? Where's yeah. the, where's the, where do they cross sectors where you can start to build and make sure that officers act the way they should. Mm -hmm. And how can you be part of that policy change? And like, when I go into Caltire at the one at Eagle Landing, I'm sure you know the guy there too. 
phenomenal service. And I just don't think he gets the recognition for it. And there's a lot of people in the community who are doing tough jobs or things that we don't as a society look up on yep. that are so important. And that person is dealing with the community all day long. How many times can people go in there and have a conversation that could change their day for the better? And the one example that I've been trying to use is when he says he's not doing an alignment on your car, so you save 180 bucks or whatever the price is, Yeah, you don't know whether or not he did it. So he's being honest with you if he says he didn't have to do it. It's very hard to tell. Like how often can you tell if somebody did an alignment versus not if your car's already straight? Yeah. Because Braden went in there and he was like, we didn't need to do an alignment, so we didn't charge you for it. And I was like, that's awesome. Because neither of us would have ever known had he charged us for it and said we actually did need to. Mm -hmm. So they have the opportunity to help you financially and to make your day better. Make you. He told Braden something about how the rims that he got for his car looked absolutely phenomenal that he bought off of another website, complimented him on his rims and said, everybody thinks your rims look awesome on this car. Mm -hmm. Have a good day. And now Braden's leaving happy with his purchase, not hurt financially, but nobody ever gives that recognition to those people. And so when I was in there last, I was like, you know what? I think you give such good customer service that I could see you being the face of Caltire. Maybe just for Chilliwack. Maybe just for that one place. But yeah. you are the person who's who I trust. I don't trust Caltire in Ontario the same way I trust this Caltire. So how can we build this person up? How can we get them heard on a platform like this where he has some leverage now? And he can say to people, hey, I was on this. I have my social media is doing really well. And I'm showing that I'm capable of doing this task and fighting yeah. for the position that probably doesn't exist right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting perspective. And I think a lot of people are opening up their eyes to the work that people are doing that, you know, they might not have recognized before, especially because of the pandemic. Exactly. You no, see, I 100% agree. You see a lot of these uh, people, you know, working at uh, grocery stores, uh, fast food restaurants that, you know, people just didn't, they didn't really care. And now it's like, okay, but now this is your lifeline. These people have always mattered, but your eyes are being open to it now. Yeah. Because you are relying on them more than you have before. Yeah. And here's a weird one is it looks like with the position I'm at with Hope and Area Transition Society, I'm going to get frontline workers pay. How? What? I don't know what they're actually calling it, but the grocery store workers are having to fight and petition for their right to get that pay. Yeah. And that seems crazy to me because I deal with a marginalized population, but they deal with all the people marginalized, regular, everyone is going through Save on Foods right now. That is a primary point of contact. I absolutely think those people deserve an increased pay, especially because they're the ones who obviously need it the most. They're working mm -hmm. during a pandemic where a lot of our staff can work from home. The people who really deserve it are the ones stuck out there trying to make a living and trying to survive during this. I, I'm surprised that it's even a conversation on whether or not they can get it. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame and... Uh... I think it really highlights, I, I watched this video, very short video, from the World Economic Forum. They just released it like two days ago. And the title is The Great Reset. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's just uh, uh, like 
I guess, kind of like a promotional video for a project that they're working on. But the way I took it was like, you know, we're doing a lot of things wrong and they need to be fixed. And this, this, the current times that we're in just kind of shown a light on all these problems that we have. And, uh, you know, the, the structures that we built, they're just not working and we need to reinvent them. Yeah. 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 I see that with a lot of things. Um, one thing that's really come out of this pandemic is seeing how our officials talk to us. Because one thing I have not heard enough of on any news site is vitamin D, vitamin C, and taking things that will boost your immune system and help support you during this time. And health, getting exercise. From my understanding, obesity is one of the leading causes of death mixed with COVID during this pandemic is the two one of the predictors is obesity so Mm. why why aren't we talking about that why Mm. aren't we telling people how important it is to get exercise to take your vitamins and to focus on those things and figure out places to get those things done that are local um because i'm i contacted rustic soap co because i want to use things that are local especially during this time but that should have always been a thing and that's something we kind of moved away from during the pandemic was buying local and yeah. trying to figure out a way to make those. But a lot of those businesses figured out a way to make it work. They rustic soap coach gave me a bag and they left it at their porch and said, you can pick it up at exactly this time. And I went and picked it up and it was fine. But s- small businesses were particularly impacted during the pandemic because they're, it's harder to switch them over because part of the product is the person to person. And so I'm hoping through this pandemic, once we're starting to come out of it, that we can start to rebuild the person to person because there's a lot of good experiences you can have in small businesses that are just not going to happen in the big retailers. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's the case for Canada, but I can't remember where I came across this, uh, but 30% of the small businesses in America will not reopen their doors ever ever yeah again yeah so it's uh and and a majority of the businesses in america are small businesses so that that says volumes of you know what's going on and how we should be refocusing or spending power towards local businesses well and why wouldn't you that person is your neighbor the person you're dealing with in a small business is somebody living right down the block from you, trying to make ends meet, trying to feed their family, focused on those type of things, and they found a passion. Because, again, with Rustic Soap Co., they have this story of their child um, facing eczema, or eczema, however you say it, and them wanting to address this pre-Google, pre-Siri, pre-just being able to type it in really quickly. They were trying to figure this out. Yeah. And... That's, that's awesome. We need people like that in our community trying to make our lives better. Alkaline Planet is another one I love because they came out of, in 2013, we put chlorine in our water and there was no plan to get it out for people to drink. So they created a business. They charge $100 for a pitcher and $20 for the filters, um, replacement filters that last two to three months and they're Chilliwack based and they were trying to fix a Chilliwack problem. And that's awesome. They have different products for your shower, for going out into the wilderness. And we need to support that because it was a Chilliwack problem and they addressed it. And why can't they be a role model for other businesses or for other people? Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting perspective for sure. Yeah, I, I can't wait to have some of those people on to talk about the details of that because I really think it's important that we start to figure out what our, our stories are. What is the Valley story? Can we build that up into something interesting? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that'd be a hard story to tell. There's so many, so many people, so many unique stories. Exactly. I don't, I don't know if you could make it into one story. No, not one story, but be able to have a culture of a story. Mm. Be able to have our community known for something. We used to be known for corn. And in 1990, we won an award for being like best water. And yeah. we've started to fall away from that belief that we are all one good thing. That we are a team working together to try and make Chilliwack great and to build connections and to build great people up. Yeah. But I wonder if that just reflects on kind of where we are as a society right now. Everything's so divisive. I, I agree. I think we've... It's just trickling down. Yeah, we have a lot of disagreements in our community because I don't know if you remember this, but when I was a kid, you didn't talk about politics mm. that much. Like our parents weren't talking to us about politics. Yeah. It wasn't being discussed in class. It was more from the newspaper reading it and trying to figure out our views. Now everybody has a political opinion. I don't know about that. You don't think so? No. No? No. I I guess with a biased view of social media, it feels like everybody has a political stance on things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't think that everybody has, uh, I think people are, are starting to, or at least you're starting to see people's opinions more because of social media. Um, I'm not convinced that everybody has a political opinion though. That's fair. Maybe it's just on specific issues where people are coming down. Yeah. Cause I think there, there's going to be certain issues that, resonate with people and they're just passionate about so you're going to hear their opinions but you know what maybe i'm not passionate about that so i'm kind of indifferent i'm just i'm willing to listen to the facts and uh you know base my decision on that and it doesn't really matter which way the outcome is for me yeah you know so yeah i think we need to start encouraging people to you're right you're right when i think about it in terms of people getting out to vote and people actually holding a position that they're willing to discuss, that is becoming rare where people actually want to sit down and have a conversation about it and go through like where, where your stances are in specific issues in specific times at specific moments. Yeah. People don't seem to be as interested in that. It's more as a whole, I have this view. Yeah. And I wonder if it's because we have this cancel culture. Yeah were uh and social media like once you put something out there it's out there yeah and it can come back to bite you in the ass at any time yeah and there's no context 10 years later of being like oh well this was everything surrounding why that person said that Mm -hmm. yeah so you know maybe it's just that people are afraid to voice their opinion because they don't want to get canceled and then you know it has such profound impacts on every sector of their life if you will yeah i look forward to having those conversations and educating myself prior to having those types of conversations but actually having them with Mm -hmm. people and i'm not always going to be right not every podcast is going to be perfect but it's about improving like who knows how much i could improve if i focus on improving each time i do this every single week of improvement and focusing on making sure that we have the correct memory cards and making sure that all of these things are properly done yeah. It can get better. 
And the goal is to make it better and to make sure that I'm not part of the problem. And that's, that's all I can do is try and make the conversation better and make sure that we hear it from all perspectives. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of divisiveness just in Chilliwack. Yeah, absolutely. Barry Newfeld is absolutely one of the most divisive people in Chilliwack. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, he just recently made, I want to say like, for sure national perhaps international news for some of his comments and again he made a a social media post and it's come back to bite him in the ass yeah but Uh, and so here's my concern with barry newfeld is it's it's fine to say that his opinions are wrong you can disagree with them i don't have an issue with that and i disagree with him on a lot of what he says but he's a school trustee and he's been voted in mm -hmm. there are people who agree with him and we have to take those people seriously because they're part of our community. We can't. I've seen journalists write him off as a wingnut, and that's that's easy to do. But one of the things I want to do on this podcast is steel man positions. Do you know what steel man means? No, I'm not too familiar. So straw man is to take the weakest part of your argument and, yeah. and bulldoze it. Steel man is to take what is he saying and what can we get from it. What is he trying to say that voters are supporting? Because he's been voted in. Somebody agrees with something he has to say. Whether they'll admit it to us or not, they voted for him. Yeah. So we need to hear what are the best sides of his argument and figure out what those are and then decide for ourselves, is there anything left there? Just like from our childhoods, we both have experiences that we tried to get the best from the worst sides of our past. Yeah. How do we get that from his opinions? And is there anything there? And if there's not, that's fine. But maybe there is. And maybe we need to hear the people who are voting for him and stop acting like we're better than them. Yeah, it's a very interesting perspective. Yeah, because I, I see people just writing him off and that's like, I get, I can see why. I can see the same thing with Trump. I can see the argument why. But mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it's furthering anything to just ignore it and just, yeah. just plug our ears and say, well, I'm smarter than him. Because there's a lot of things I don't know. And he might know one thing that I don't know that I could really use. Mm-hmm. And so he's another person I'd like to have on the podcast. Yeah, I. that's a very interesting perspective. And I think I almost use that in my day-to-day life in the sense that when I'm with other people, I tend to just listen because I want to, you know, they're going to have some crazy things to say, stuff that's wrong. But, you know, they might just come out and say something that is, like, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I want to be there to listen. Yeah. I, I, don't, I just want to absorb information and kind of just reflect on it on my own time. Yeah. No, and, I, I completely see that. I, I sit quiet a lot and listen because people will tell you what they're up to if you just sit and wait. Mm-hmm. And if you just give them a few minutes. But... Most of the time, I don't say anything because I'm. hopefully it takes me longer to come up with a position on some of these social topics yeah. than responding right when somebody says their first opinion. And I, to, to a lot of people's credit, people who you wouldn't think have that genius thought are incredibly reflective people and trying to figure out their own life. And I've seen it, and you have to stop yourself when you have that kind of lens of this person you have to stop and kind of go, okay, this is my normal lens, but this person's showing me a different side. Am I going to pay attention or am I going to ignore it? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's incredibly important because um, one of the experiences I have was at the University of the Fraser Valley. I was taking a course and it was easy for like the first 
the first month and a half, it was a piece of cake. And I started to notice a change in the what was being asked and the expectations and the marking rubric and those changes. And I knew I needed to adapt myself because I was treating it like an easy class. And yeah. now it needed to change. And there were a few peers of mine who did not think it needed to change, who thought the professor was just being dramatic and everything was going to be fine. Mm -hmm. they, they failed that course and they're retaking it now, which is fine, but you need to be willing to adapt. And that's also what I want to do on this is I want to admit I'm not always going to have the perfect opinion. And if somebody leaves a comment that pops into my head as, yeah, you are absolutely right. And I missed that. I want to be able to own that because yeah. the, the product needs to be authentic. And if I'm going to build other people up and hopefully have role models for the city of Chilliwack, then I need to be willing to admit when I'm wrong. Yeah, fair enough. I think um, that I, I feel the same way. You know, your your opinion is going to evolve over time. You're going to collect new information or reflect on it and, uh, you know, I guess at, at a different angle, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you might see something different or it might change the way you see it. Yeah. And your opinion will change. And that's important. And that's a good thing. And we have to be willing to let people let go of bad ideas and not ridicule them and show them a ha-ha, you were wrong attitude because then there's no encouragement and i think it's a suspicion of mine that a lot of people don't apologize because what comes after the apologies is negative mm. it's hey jake I'm, I'm really sorry for for how i treated you and it's yeah you shouldn't have done that and it's like why am i encouraged to change if you're just going to stomp on me when i show any amount of vulnerability it doesn't work yeah and so you have to be open to admitting that you're wrong and the other person has to be willing to hear it and to let you move forward in a better way. Yeah. And that's something I think a lot of people struggle with is saying like, I'm going to apologize, but you have to agree to let me try and be better mm -hmm. and hold, you can't hold me as like a model of what a bad idea is. Yeah. And I don't think enough of that is going on either. Yeah. That's yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah. I remember, I can't remember who I was having a conversation with. I think maybe it was Kristen. And uh, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't see an image at all. What? Like, I thought, I thought people this whole time were, it was like, kind of like this, I don't want to say lie. I don't think that's the right word to describe it. But people were um, exaggerating it. Like I did, I, like for me, it's completely black. Just like you, I can recall if you're like, okay, um, think about uh, CMS. Yeah. I could, I, I don't see an image whatsoever. And yeah. like, I don't see words in my mind or whatever, but I can recall aspects about about the building like qualities yeah, yeah qualities about the building like yeah. i remember the front entrance and you know the steps and you know the small little parking uh lot that they had and off to the side of the building there's this field and to the back there's another bigger parking lot um and you know it's two two floors and i who knows how many classrooms are in there but you yeah. know it, it i recall it kind of being like t-shaped if you will but I don't see any images. And I remember having a conversation with Kristen and 
uh, I'm pretty sure it was Kristen. And uh, yeah, no images. And she's like, what? Like, you don't see images? And she's like trying to get me to describe this to her. And uh, I tried to look it up. Maybe you can look it up on your computer. It'd be way faster than me. Um, But there's there's a word for it. Um, trying to think about it off the top of my head. Aphantasia. Um, and I didn't realize that you're correct. We're, we're, we're different. People see images. They can just conjure up images at will. Yeah. And I I just thought it was like this exaggeration. Like, I just think of the place I can recall aspects. I thought these people were exaggerating. They could recall aspects too. And they're just like kind of exaggerating that they can see a picture with any clarity in their mind, in their mind's eye. And I was just totally amazed by that. Yeah, psychology is so complicated. And obviously one of the guests I'm going to have on is the psych enthusiast because... There's so much complexity to the brain and our experience mm-hmm. that we don't understand that we should if we're operating in this world because people will talk about controlling your emotions and it's like that's a psychological game that you have to figure out. And you yeah. have to figure out how to um, control things because what does it mean if you're angry about something but you don't know why you're angry? Mm. How does that occur? And how do you regulate that? And people say like, oh, that person just flies off the handle and it's like, yeah, they haven't learned how to control their emotions yet. And we need to figure those things out and teach that to people and at least have it as a conversation so that we can start to work towards those things because we don't know what's in in each other's minds, but Mm -hmm. we play a game as if we do because I could see you for a few minutes say, hey, how are you doing, Jake? And you'd say, I'm doing good. And there would be this assumption that both of us have the same things going on in our brains with no idea on whether or not that's occurring, on whether or not you receive information the same way as me. So if I wanted you to remember, hey, we're meeting next week, what's the best way that works for you to remember that? Yeah. None of those conversations ever occur. Yeah, and I I really, I stumbled into this uh, a few years ago. I can't, I can't remember why exactly, but then I rediscovered it, uh, if you will, maybe like a year ago. Um, I was going to see my occupational therapist for my uh, concussion, um, traumatic brain injury. And uh, we were doing all these different tests and evaluations. And I think one of the questions was like, imagine this place. And I remember thinking like, I think I posed the question like, do you actually want me to try and imagine this place? Because I can't. Like, this just isn't going to work. Yeah. This is not the way that I, I think. And, like, and I remembered hunger. Like, I used to think that people were exaggerating on this, but then I realized that it was a real thing. Yeah. Um, and it kind of informed the way that we were going to go about my treatment, about my therapy. Uh, just being cognizant of the fact of this is the way that I think. And then we kind of got to tailor it. And when you have, a brain injury, especially at the beginning, um, your brain is healing and then you're just, you've got all these physical, I guess, limitations, if you will. Um, but then there's also like cognitive and emotional limitations, um, and just trying to navigate that. And, uh, 
this is a, a perfect example one of like i kind of lost my train of thought yeah and that, that's completely understandable especially if you want to talk at all about what you've been through over the past couple of years because you are a person to me that has faced adversity and then adversity and then when you are on the right track and you're pointing in the right direction and you're doing everything right you just face a little bit more adversity yeah so can you walk me through a little bit of you graduate high school yeah you're bright-eyed bushy-tailed and considering <laughs> going to ufe yeah what goes on in terms of injuries that to me like the concussion that you have and uh, the direction that that's gone in has impacted you in a way that I can't even understand because I'm doing these things and not even thinking of my brain as mm -hmm. something that is facing a limitation. So just good. Yeah. So I guess we'll start with UFV. So to be honest, at the beginning, I didn't even really consider university. Like we previously discussed, you know, in high school, I wasn't really a big fan of school. So I skipped, um, but I wanted to become a police officer and you kind of needed this edge. So I was thinking about the Justice Institute. And I remember, um, like, I didn't really know the details per se, but I knew that my band would fund uh, members of the band to pursue post-secondary education. So I remember going for a meeting and being like, hey, you know, this is what I'd like to do. And I got completely shot down. Uh, and the coordinator was like, no, uh, the justice Institute, uh, doesn't qualify for our assistance. You have to go to university. And that is something that never really crossed my mind. And okay. So go home and, uh, start to plot like, okay, well, how, what does this look like? What does university look like? How do I get into it? Kind of start organizing myself to pursue it. Well, what do I want to pursue? And at that time, you were in your first year of criminology and you kind of pushed me onto this path of criminology. I'm okay. okay. So start to get organized and finally, you know, get all my paperwork in order, get organized, apply, and I'm in. Um, and, uh, you know, first year, I think it's, it's a common experience that, you know, you don't do so well. You're just trying to, uh, orient yourself because yeah. uh, in my opinion, it's a lot different than high school. Uh, thankfully. Yeah. In a lot of good ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I had to really find myself. I had taken a year and a half off really didn't pay attention much in high school because I was skipping. So I hadn't really been to school in years. And here I am, university, trying to navigate my way through it, find what works for me. Um, and, uh, and you know, all was going well second year and start getting into third year. And then, you know, kind of where this, I guess, story begins uh, is you and I get into a car accident. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, luckily you you weren't really injured in that, thank God. The first one was the one where we were leaving the gym, though, wasn't it? That was one of the first major ones. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, where you were per pulling out onto um, Vetter Road, yeah. close to Garrison Shoe Company and... Keith Wilson. Yes, I remember this one now. So, so actually, this was first year. 
my my first no perhaps this was right before this was right before i was going to start university yeah um pulling you and i were at, at the gym i think perhaps with our friend steve yeah um <laughs> i go to pull out of garrison and uh you know it's prohibited left turn i'm making a left turn and uh it does not end very well i pull out um and i get hit and uh cars totaled uh surprisingly the damage wasn't that bad yeah but it was an old yeah so that was kind of a scary experience you know you look over and you see somebody else's headlights coming right for you and it was uh an impact with uh her front bumper to my driver's side door and this is a two-door car so it's right there i'm i can't even get out of the vehicle i had to get out on the passenger side and uh the car's totaled there's not too much damage we push out of the way and uh in that one you know i've got a sore back for a couple days it's okay yeah and then i think the second accent is you you not no the second accident i was in um i was driving with my sister and we're going to the p e with my family and we get there early um we get into town early so we decided to go to the richmond costco um because i'm a huge fan of costco yeah uh like to go there just to browse around um and on our way there uh, we get rear-ended and it was a pretty considerable hit. Um, we're on Oak street, about to go onto the Oak street bridge going into Richmond and we get rear-ended and usually people, uh, I think the speed limit I want to say is like 60 kilometers an hour, but people speed quite a bit there. Um, and I want to say we probably got hit around, you know, like 60, 70, whatever, something like that. Not much damage because, you know, we're both g- going in the same direction, um, but they take off. So thankfully, my sister's not really hurt. But I, from what I recall, I think the reason why I got hurt was I was looking to change lanes. So my body was kind of twisted yeah. in in uh, in this awkward position and then we get hit yeah so i get a back injury out of that and uh you know wasn't it was not a very good experience um i'm just gonna go work construction with my grandfather that summer didn't happen because my back screwed um and uh it was just kind of a bit of an ordeal to go through luckily that healed pretty quickly it felt like eternity (laughs) while it was happening um especially reflecting on it from where i am now um you know it wasn't really that that long you know i want to say like five months six months things are all better um and then you and or no for that one it was a it was a couple weeks couple weeks and then the one that took you know five six months was the accident with you and I. Which one was the one where the lady came up behind you and you had stopped and she had rear? Was that the one you just described? Yeah. So we were both still in motion. Yeah. 
but I had slowed down because the vehicle in front of me had slowed down, but we're moving in the same direction right, right, relatively right. So the quickly. Next, so the next one was the one where we were driving mm-hmm. down Young Road yeah. towards the train tracks, yeah. and we were in our own lane, and the person had taken the left turn, correct? Uh, so yeah, the, from, the from car took a left turn and then hit my driver's side door. So, yeah, they hit your driver's side door. But from what I recall, he, this person was speeding and there was a vehicle in their way and they went to change lanes to avoid a collision with that vehicle. But I guess it happened so quickly. They didn't check to see if there was a vehicle in the other lane, which was the vehicle we were traveling in. And just absolutely smokes us because he's trying to move lanes quickly to avoid yeah. a collision. And thankfully, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of damage, nothing catastrophic. And it really could have been a nasty accident when I think back on it because he could have pushed our car up onto the sidewalk a bit and there's a pole there. Yeah, There's telephone poles relatively close uh, to the roadway. Yeah. So it could have ended pretty bad didn't end that bad had a back injury from that lasted about five six months always good and uh remember you know things are going pretty good at this point i've really gotten a a good rhythm with school um got some some money which is nice because pretty much my whole life no money yeah uh so it was nice to have, you know, some money. Didn't have to worry about that. Didn't go and buy crazy things. Um, with that, I bought a new car. Nothing crazy. It was like $4,000 car, $3,000 car, something like that. Um, life's going good. Get uh, Take a practicum position with a place I really didn't want to go to at the beginning. Um, but found that I actually enjoyed it there. Yeah. Uh, and it was really rewarding work and it was, didn't start out that way. Did it? You had to go fight for it, didn't you? Fight to find good, meaningful work. Yeah. So, um, I start there, you know, just trying to get grounded in what's going on. Not too thrilled to be there because it, to me, I didn't really see the criminal justice aspect to it. Uh, and this was a, a local nonprofit. You know, they work with people who uh, have issues with uh, substances, housing, um, work with pretty much people of all ages, kids, all the way up to adults. And I'm like, okay, um, here I am, practicum position in their housing program as a support worker. Like okay, well, what what does that what does that mean? What does that look like? And pretty much, it, it just meant that um, I'm supporting the people who live there in you know getting stuff like ID and uh, going like grocery shopping, getting a doctor, just that kind of stuff. And it over time, I found the position to be more rewarding because I developed a relationship with these people. Yeah. It was a professional relationship, but I, I had a lot of empathy to towards their position and I genuinely wanted to help. 
And they could see that. They could see that I was genuine with them. I wanted to help them. I was, you know, I just, we just have conversations. And uh, I found that to be really rewarding because I would have these conversations and these, these individuals would express to me that they appreciated, I guess you could say the work that I was doing with them. Yeah. The relationship that I'd, I'd created with them. Uh, and I remember the people that I was working with at the time that were supervising me had expressed to me that I should take a position that was upcoming to be the a youth addictions outreach worker. And I thought to myself, that's not really in line with where I'd like to go. Um, and the uh, qualifications for that position were different than what I had. Yeah. Um, cause it's a whole different role. You're, you're not looking at it from a criminal justice lens. You're looking at it more social services. And that's pretty much the position I was in already. And some of the, the residents had encouraged me to take this position, um, because they wanted to throw a party for me at the end of my practicum and bake me a cake and we're going to have a party and it was going to be a farewell and you know thanks for uh being there and supporting me and being an ally and i told them well let's put the brakes on for a minute uh i might be staying i might be taking on this position i i haven't decided if i want to apply and they encouraged me no apply we want to still see you around here Okay, so, you know, I've got some of the other employees and residents encouraging me to apply for this position. So I took a leap of faith, if you will, and I applied and I ended up getting the job, which was absolutely crazy to me because, uh, I mean, it's before before this, uh, every job I'd ever applied to, I'd gotten it. Yeah. If I got, if I was offered an interview, I got the job always. And this was the first job that I was really nervous about getting the interview and then not getting the job. Um, it sounds really silly, but it was like kind of like almost this game well, that I just, I have to win. Yeah. Well, and that's fair, especially because you, this is your chance. You walk in there, you're sitting down with them that should be the easiest part to get the job. And that's always how it's like the resume is the hard part to me. The cover letter is the hard part for me because you're trying to condense who you are into mm -hmm. two pages of information. But when you sit me down and we have a conversation, we're going to find something to connect with. Yeah. And so you can see that in an interview. So if you, they said no after meeting you, it's like, well, they were saying no to you. Yeah. You yeah. yeah. So uh, I got the job. I was like, okay, well, sweet. So it's this term position summer job excellent excellent pay uh you know uh you i i worked with awesome people i still think they're awesome uh but you know i was really excited for this job and you know we start doing it and i have to say up until now it was the most rewarding job i've ever had in my life wow um just because of my background, I could really relate with some of these kids, even though they might not know that I could relate to where they're at. 
I could relate and I felt that I could use where I had brought myself to yeah. uh, to help them kind of navigate um, where they would like to go. And that doesn't necessarily have to be towards education. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I know where you, you've been at. Here's like, let me help you, you know, get to where you'd like to be or fix whatever issue you might be having. Not that I'm going to come in and fix it for you, but we can do it together. Yeah. And I want to see you do it. And I'm just there to kind of prop you up if you need it. Yeah. If you don't need it, fantastic. You know, you saw this challenge. You didn't think you could do it without support. And then you managed to do it on your own. Like just how rewarding is that for them? Yeah. And you could see that sometimes. Other times uh, they didn't really care. But um, yeah, no, it's just incredible to develop these working relationships with these people and have them be so candid with you. And uh, it was really eye-opening. Like, I think we had, we definitely had some tough times growing up. Um, and it could have been a lot worse. Like, it was, it was pretty bad, but it could have been a hell of a lot worse. And, you know, I'm here seeing it firsthand. Like, a lot of the experiences these kids went through, you know, I think you and I have gone through to some degree. Um, but seeing like the adults too. So I worked with adults, even though it wasn't, uh, you know, our target demographic per se, I'm not going to say no to helping people. Yeah. Um, like I just not going to turn it down. If I can help you in some fashion, I'm going to, it doesn't mean that, you know, we were spending all of our time, um, uh, helping the adults instead of the youth. Um, but you know, we were, we were there, we were available, we were willing to lend a hand and lend the resources that we have. Um, so yeah, it was just incredibly rewarding to develop these relationships, help these kids along with their journey and just to see how much they appreciated, uh, having us around. Uh, it was, uh, literally heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, to have to close out that program uh, and say goodbye to all these kids. And even, uh, you know, moving along to the last, well, not the last accident I had, unfortunately, but the one that kind of really changed the, how I, what I think of as like the trajectory of my life. Yeah, I think it had a profound impact on it. And I'm not, I haven't decided if it's good or bad. And, you know, maybe that's just, it doesn't even make sense to see trying, it as good as bad, yeah, or good, good or bad. Those. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I was working one night. It was, it was a really tough day at work. Really tough day. I can't really get into any of the details. But uh, we decided to work overtime because we got a call from a distressed kid. So we go and we pick them up and we're going to go uh, have a meal and kind of work through what's going on. And just before we get to the restaurant, we get into a collision and uh car spins around. And with that force, if you will, uh, my head whips over and I don't know what it hits exactly. 
I suspect it's the A-frame, so the the pillar uh, that's like right right near your head um, in, in the car. Metal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the force of the, the accent, like I suspect that this person was distracted in some manner and just didn't see us so it was too late and hit us at speed uh from behind and the car spins around just because of the way we were positioned hit my head on this metal beam and it was i had a headache unlike i'd ever had in my life i had thought i split my head open like the skull like split open and was bleeding there's no blood or obviously no split in my head uh, but it was it was awful it was and you know it just little did i know it set me on this trajectory where it was just unimaginable suffering if you will yeah um i remember like you're just at sometimes you were able to articulate yourself and think and there's other times where you were just so slow uh and it was just like i i had to drop out of school i had to take a leave from work i saw my relationships with other people start to fall apart and it really just like it put me in this mental state where i was just kind of felt so down and i, I know a lot of the uh medical uh, people I work with, for lack of a better term, or words, um, I thought, you know, depression. I hated that word, though. I didn't think it was depression, because to me, at, at, at least at the time, depression was, you know, there. there's like, uh, maybe I should phrase it this way. Like, I saw that there was an external issue that it occurred, and this is why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. And should these categories in my life be fixed or brought back to where they were, I would be okay again. So I didn't really like the word depression. But it was awful to watch, at least from my perspective, watch your life crumble before your eyes. And I, I was kind of at a high. That summer, you know, had an awesome job. It was extremely rewarding you know you're helping people feel good about yourself one of my best friends had gotten married i was the best man and i'd went on the first i guess vacation of my life that pretty much at the beginning of that summer yeah had money got uh to and i'm still working with them work with an incredible organization and be on the board uh you know things Everything's looking up yeah, everything is yeah. like in the right direction, going to graduate, you know, coming up on, you know, the last few semesters that I have, things are starting to line up and you just get knocked like right out of that. Yeah. And yeah, you just, I felt like I was watching my life crumble before my eyes and it was, it was so hard to deal with that. Yeah. So hard. Like I can't even use words to describe Especially, I remember going to the going to my doctor. I'd go see my doctor every two weeks. Not really anymore because of the pandemic. 
but uh, he wanted to go do um, a CT scan. Oh, okay. Well, what's the CT scan for? Oh, we're checking to see if there's uh, brain damage. Well, what do you mean brain damage? Like permanent brain damage. I remember coming home and I just sat on the floor and I cried, just bawled, thinking like, there's no coming back from this. Like I just didn't see a way out. Everything was crumbling. There's no way out. Might have permanent brain damage. There's like permanent, there's no fixing that. And, uh, you know, that might be the reason I'm experiencing some of the things that I was experiencing. And if it's permanent, then like, this is just going to be my new way of life. And it was awful. It still is awful. Um, but I've kind of shifted my perspective and I try not to, uh, let it win per se and see it as suffering, uh, and just try and like shift my perspective yeah. onto th- the things that I can control. Yeah, no, I can completely understand that. And I think this kind of goes to what we were going to talk about, which was Jordan Peterson, because there are those, there are people who would just tell you to be happy and yeah. just try and find happiness in your day. And it's like, that's not going to work because the scaffolding in which I plan to proceed in the world is completely different than what it was. Mm-hmm. And I have to reorient myself and reset and figure out where do I go from here? What is within my capabilities and what's not now? And how often do any of us evaluate that ever? And to be put into a circumstance where somebody comes in and says, you might have this incomprehensible problem for the rest of your life. And we're going to find out if that's the case. It's like, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. What are you supposed to do after a meeting like that? Yeah. And, and that was just, I think you you hit it dead on of like my perspective. Later on, I found out like, you know, I guess that could have been the case, but I would say that they're very optimistic that, you know, concussions only last, you know, X amount of time. You're going to get over it. Things are going to be back to normal. And that just hasn't really been the case. Yeah, And that's been it's been a struggle to cope with that, to recognize it, accept it and move on and, um, find different strategies and, um, compensatory, uh, uh, ways of, ways of doing things. I, yeah. Trying to make up for, yeah. Like, yeah. So to, to try and lead a life that you're leading before, but it will never happen because of this profound change. Yeah. So like you're going back, you're trying to get back to where you were before, but it's not going to happen because this happened, but also your perspective on things. It's as different now. It is, you yeah, it's shifted. To, you're never going back. Yeah. Because now you, your whole world is like, well, now I'm at risk and now I need to protect this this head of mine and you have different relationships with people and how you figure out problems has to adapt and because your brain isn't working this the exact same way it was yeah so like the first I want to say first few weeks was like really rough um the first like week or so I just kind of stayed at home uh could have done things a lot better uh, in terms of like concussion protocol. Um, but I thought I was doing okay. I mean, 
I was like student, like really active person, like on my phone all the time, out doing things, you know, on the computer, whatever. And you just had to enter this new state where you remember you had to go home and just sit in darkness. No phone, no computer, no TV, no books. You just sit there. And boy, do you like you reflect during that time. You have nothing else to do. And it's it is a dangerous place to be when you're going through all of that and then you're asked to just go home and sit in darkness alone with yourself. You can spiral out of control. Well, especially because really like, quickly. What's on your mind is: Is this going to get any better? Is this the thing that's going to fix what I'm going through? And what are my relationships with my family and with my friends? And what's going on there? And there's so much to think about, especially just after this accident, where it's like, who's on my phone? Who's texting me? Who wants to be there for me? And all of these, I can't imagine what that would have been like to sit there and go through all of it because there's nothing else to do. You just get to sit there and think of what's my relationship with this person? Is it what it could be? And mm-hmm. going through, is my life going to be what I wanted it to be? What I dreamed it would be? Yeah. And it's all external. It's not like a button you can press to bump up the gigawatts in your brain. It's like you have to live with live with this brain. Yeah, you 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 really have to reconcile with it. Yeah. And uh, And yeah, you just, you really reflect like what is life going to look like after this how long is it going to take to get through this and at what cost yeah uh and yeah it was like and then on top of this your brain isn't functioning properly so you you like i had issues with memory long long term and short term uh like <laughs> I used to leave things on all the time, put things away in the wrong spot. Uh, you know, I'd forget. I forgot my cousin's name. Couldn't remember it. Uh, you know, you go. I remember this one time going to the grocery store and, okay, I've got to get these things. I want to make this tonight. And you go there. Oh, okay. Well, shit. What did I need? Okay. And. I just found myself doing circles around the grocery store and uh, don't have the stuff I need. Can't remember what I need. It just seems like I can't, I just can't do it. Yeah. And it's just incredibly frustrating. I remember just leaving, just whatever, <laughs> just go out to eat or something like it's crazy. Um, wonder who do you talk to? Who understands? Like there's, not nobody going through what you're going through. Yeah. And yeah. you don't want to embarrass yourself and you don't want people to lose faith in you. And yeah. say like, oh, like I just, I can't even shop for groceries. And it's like, and now I'm going to drive you to this place. And it's like, you, you want to be careful on how you share that and who you tell because you want them to still respect you. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was really, it was really hard to, to share what I was going through because, well, even, even to this day, I, I can't articulate myself the way that I could before. And it was really bad uh, at the beginning. Um, Yeah, I just couldn't find the words to say. I couldn't put them together in the way I wanted to. Uh, You know, I'd forget what I was trying to say, like my train of thought. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so it you can't really articulate it to other people what you're going through, kind of what your needs are. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, uh, it's hard to think about it because again, your brain isn't working properly. Yeah. So you're kind of scattered all over the place, slow to think about things. And then, yeah, you don't want, it's, it's an invisible injury. People can't see it. So you're the one experiencing it, but the way people are viewing you and the injury is probably quite different than what it, at least subjectively, what you're going through. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really hard to uh, articulate and communicate and try and uh, share kind of what I'm going through to health professionals but also like the people around me I and, and part of me didn't want to share because yeah. I didn't want them to understand what I was going through because it would just make them feel uh, sad and I guess pity towards me which I really didn't want because yeah. uh, again I've got this fire under my ass like unbelievable to go out and do do something bring value to the world have lead a meaningful life make a difference yeah. make a difference yeah so um you know i the whole time i'm just thinking how do i get back on track uh and you know still to this day kind of thinking about that well because that's not even the end of the story right we still have one more accident yeah so you know make times were were really tough uh, I wouldn't say that I, I wanted to kill myself, but I wasn't opposed to the idea of dying. Um, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> should, you know, uh, I think the way that I explained it to uh, some of the professionals I was working with was if I was, you know, crossing the road or whatever, and there's a truck barreling down the road and like, you've got to get the hell out of the way or you're going to get smoked. I don't know if I'd get out of the way. Yeah. God. So, yeah. like, it wasn't like I'm, like, going out and, like, uh, actively planning on, like, how am I going to kill myself and thinking about it all the time. It was like, okay, like, I wouldn't be opposed to the suffering ending. Yeah. Well, especially because you've got this fire under you that has been, you've seen hell and you know what that's like and you've known what it's like to suffer and the tool that's going to get you out of this life has been this brain and this yeah. brain has gotten you to university and you continue to climb and you can you see law school in the distance saying that's where brains are made like that's where real intellectual thinking goes on and i want to go there yeah then you get it taken away yeah and you're starting to feel vulnerable and it's like well i don't if i tell other people maybe they'll just put me in a box and say i'm now this person who isn't intellectual i'm not capable and yeah you're worried about keeping that intellectual respect and leaving that door open because exactly. once you start to tell people they'll start to put you in that room and say well like you can't push yourself too hard jake and don't don't try too hard and like understand your limitations and it's like all of those are things you're already figuring out for yourself and you're saying fuck i'm, I'm experiencing these limitations and i don't want it and i don't like it and yeah. you're trying to work through it and people are like just accept like just it's okay like we don't expect much and you don't want that you don't want no. that life yeah. yeah and and i think it's important to highlight that just because 
you know, you, at least in my experience, every concussion is different. Um, it's not like you just all of a sudden lost all the information that you had before. Like you're in, in many ways, still the same, same person. You have the same, uh, intellect, if you will. Yeah. Uh, everything's still there. It's not, yeah, it's just just not accessible. Yeah, exactly. You can't, it's, yeah, it's not accessible, uh, on your terms. Yeah. Uh, the in, way the sen- in the sense of like, yeah, the the way it was, and like consciously, I can't access it at will. Yeah, uh, it's I'm dictated by my body. Yeah, and and how all I don't really uh, fully understand, and I mean doctors don't even f- really fully understand uh, what goes on. But um, you know, I'm I'm prisoner to my own body in a sense that. Um, you know, if I do X, Y, or Z, I'm going to get this wicked headache like you've never experienced before where you just want to rip your face off and just like go die in a hole, like make it stop for the love of God. Yeah. Uh, And uh, where, you know, you're doing something and I guess it triggers this and then all of a sudden you can't articulate yourself or you lose your train of thought or like you start experiencing all these different symptoms and you've got to navigate your way through well what are the triggers what can i do to mitigate uh you know experiencing these things that i don't want to experience yeah um so i'm trying to navigate this new world if if you will that i'm in uh trying to navigate the relationships i don't I still don't think they are where they were before. Um, and, you know, we're social creatures. So I'm like isolating myself. I've got all these other things going on. My world's crumbling in front of me. It's just incredibly difficult to deal with. Uh, and I've now got to navigate through this. And, you know, there's people, people are willing to provide support, but you're not going to get support all the time. So you've got to really figure it out for yourself. You know, got to rely on yourself. That's at least in my opinion, that that was the only thing I could rely on was myself. Yeah. Um, Well, and you think about like, you text someone and you're like, Hey, like I'm struggling with this. Could you help me out? And they say yes. And then you're like, do I wait a day? Like I need more, like I need something else or I need to talk to somebody. And like, I just talked to this person for an hour and then we start to try and figure out where those boundaries are. And yeah. so you do just stay in reflection. Yeah. And I, 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 perhaps, you know, it was a mistake on my part, but I didn't really reach out to people because yeah. again, I didn't want people to question my abilities. Uh, and I didn't want people to feel pity for me. Yeah. So it was just easier to kind of not reach out to like people immediately around me. Like I reached out for medical help. Like, okay, this is bigger than me. Yeah. Uh, I I can't solve this uh, myself or otherwise (laughs) I'd be fixed. Um, so I need to get some, some help and I need to lean my weight into it and really try. Cause you know, it's like, there's a lot at stake. There's, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot at stake here. Um, and I'm sure even like if things don't get better from this point onwards, um, I can still function to, uh, I guess an acceptable, acceptable degree. Yeah. 
And, you know, I really got as, as horrible as this experience has been, I kind of got lucky, uh, later on, uh, I guess in my journey, I, uh, joined a group on Facebook for traumatic brain injury, uh, post concussion. So eventually, you know, things weren't getting better. So, um, uh, it, changed, I guess, from concussion to post-concussion syndrome. So uh, I guess when you hit your head or your head rattles around in in your skull too hard and you, you damage it, you start damaging the neural connections, the neural pathways that you have. And when those snap off and die, they also release a chemical. Yeah. So then it kills the one surrounding it too. So oh, you're in like, you're not in good shape. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's certain chemicals in your body that are pretty low uh, immediately after, and it takes time. You know, your brain, it like your body is amazing in, in the sense that it's going to heal itself. So it takes some time for things to get healed. And uh, I guess six, six weeks, I think it is, is like when, you know, those chemicals start coming back to normal levels. Um, and your neural pathways start to kind of get rebuilt. Like they're snapped off. You've got to rebuild them. So that's why I guess some people who have it way worse experience, uh, you know, like they can't speak like, like at all. Like they have major trouble speaking. And at the beginning, you know, like I said, I had issues with articulating myself, finding, finding the words that I want to say, like I never really had any problems saying them like speech wise, but there's issues with, you know, articulating myself, putting them together in the way that I would like them to be put together to convey what I'm meaning. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I joined this group on Facebook. There's all these other people who have concussions, some of them multiple, and this was my first one. And, uh, you know, post-concussion syndrome usually happens to people that have multiple concussions. So I'm kind of like uh, at this space, like also kind of like, why me? Why get into this accident? You know, why do, why does it have to happen in this fashion where I get this injury and it's totally ripping me apart as a person and I'm, now faced with all all this adversity if you will um like why me why do i have to go through it but also like in in the sense of like okay um you know i meet in a sense these other people who are going through similar things um and it's like okay well why didn't i get it as bad as them like thank god i did not have to uh, experience some of the suffering that they they've had to experience but like i i just want to understand why am i in the position that i'm in like why am i kind of sitting in this spot um so you know things were going okay starting to make some progress um the headaches aren't as bad um as you know they were before um, and I've had some headaches that were worse than the initial impact uh, of me hitting my head into that metal post. There's a plastic covering, but it's a metal post. It's the frame of your car, right? So 
Um, like, like I said before, like you just want to rip your face off. It's like, like you're almost willing to do anything for this to end. It's not going to end. You can take all the pills you want. Like I, I would like take a few Advil because the way I, I, at least the way I thought of it was like, okay, your, your brain's inflamed. Advil is an anti-inflammatory. It's going to help with the pain didn't put a dent into it yeah you you take whatever the maximum dose is nothing you know you'd okay like maybe uh i need to go in a dark room i need to take this advil i need to maybe do like some self-massage to the neck to try and relieve some of that pressure and try and get past no nothing everything you do nothing you just you just have to sit in this misery and (laughs) Hope to God that it's just going to go away and you can think about something else. Yeah. Um, so things are getting better. And, uh, you know, I've got uh, a, a team, if you will, of people that are really advocating for me. And it was kind of strange to be in a position where you need to be advocated for when you're also working in a position where you're advocating for others. So... Like I was grateful for it. And it, it also put me in a position where sometimes I advocated for myself and just kind of being grateful that I had all this experience advocating for others that I could now use for myself. Yeah. So, you know, things are getting better. Uh, I had to take a few semesters off of school, I took a year off of school, uh, spent this summer preparing to come back and uh it was something like i was so ambivalent about the decision to drop out uh at the beginning uh it was like it was ripping me up so school was a big thing it was very important to come back so i come back okay i gotta i gotta pace myself don't wanna push it too hard set myself back or kind of get into the state where I don't think I'm capable of it anymore. Yeah. So it's it's really important that I find the right balance where I'm not going to become more symptomatic. Uh, I know I'm going to be able to handle it. And I'm not going to put myself uh, in a mental state where I just don't think I can do it. So I take two classes. And, uh, you know, things are going pretty good in one of them. Uh okay in the other we get towards the end of the semester and i've got to meet up with my post-secondary coordinator just to kind of check in and update her on you know how things are going so on my way to this appointment i get into another collision and uh thankfully didn't get that that hurt relative uh that hurt in this one um despite it being a pretty nasty collision is this the one you sent me yeah so this is the one where i'm you know driving down the road driving down uh yale road gonna go on to wellington and uh this truck makes an illegal left turn doesn't indicate and just punches it yeah just uh, like he knows he's doing something wrong uh at least 
that's what I gathered when he came and spoke with me after the collision. What was that conversation like? Very brief. He was just like, he was just kind of beating himself up in a sense. Like, like he knew like he had royally fucked up, uh, you know, cause I like, and, and I really reflected on it after that. So I'll, I'll first share how it happened. So crossing the intersection, he makes the legal left turn and, uh, you know, I'm going like probably 40 or 50. It's a green light for me. Go through and I hit him. And I hit him right under the passenger door. His truck goes over my the hood of my car, drives over it, and the force of my car pushes him and it spins his truck at least 180 degrees. Thankfully, there's no one on the sidewalk because it just about came up onto the sidewalk and like... It's not the biggest truck, but it's also, it's a truck. Like yeah, yeah. it would, it would do some damage. Um, so my car is totaled, like it's mangled, and uh, you know, I've got a bunch of adrenaline going, and I'm thinking, holy fuck, really? Yeah. Again? Yeah. Like we're gonna do this again? Like I still remember you sending me the video, and I hope I can post it if that's okay. Uh, I would have to, I'll have to check with my lawyers, but so, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, but I remember seeing that and it was just incomprehensible. And to the last person you want to have it happen to, like you never want that to happen to anyone. Yeah. But after everything you had been through the first time, it yeah. was like the last thing you want to hear is that your, your closest friend went through that again. Yeah, and luckily, 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 uh, luckily, I didn't hit my head in this uh, accident. Really thankful for that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, slid forward, slammed my knees into the dashboard. Uh, airbag failed to deploy. Uh, it, there was some issues with the airbags in the car. I don't know if it should have. Uh, yeah, would you have but, wanted that? And get yeah, I was. I was actually quite thankful. Uh, reflecting on it, I don't. I didn't want to be hit in the face by an airbag. Yeah. Um, and you know, kind of, I got set back uh, a fair amount from that accident, uh, and uh, you know, really unsure if I got another concussion. Yeah. Um, you know, some people think I did. I think there are others that don't. I'm really not sure myself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, here we are again, like, and, you know, just like, why? Yeah. Why? Like, the, like I watched that video at least a hundred times. And just like, what? Like, there's absolutely nothing I could have done to avoid that accident. Yeah. Like, nothing. But, and and just like had to just accept it, move on. Like, you know, there's now there's more work to be done you know, set back, had to drop, uh, pretty much almost drop out of that semester right at the end. Like we're one week to exams. We're like week 11, week 12 or week 12, week 13, something like that. We're right at the very end. And, uh, I was able to, uh, have a conversation with one of the instructors and still complete the the course on time yeah um and the other one there was some issues uh and uh i'm gonna have to drop that one 
there's a bit of a process that I have to go through because I was supposed to be able to complete the uh, last assignment that there was in that course, but uh, wasn't able to uh, maintain communication with the instructor. Uh, so my uh, incomplete grade contract turned to an F. So I've got to sort that out. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was just devastating. Like here we are first semester back, you know, things are going pretty good. Uh, I've got some accommodations to, uh, you know, help me out. But I'm in my mind, I'm trying not to use them because I don't, I, I kind of want the challenge in a sense to like push myself to get better. But at the same time, I don't want to think back and be like, think back and be like, okay, well, you know, I got, I got the, the last part of my degree because things were easier for me. I don't want that. Yeah. I want to be, uh, have the, the same playing field as, as my peers. Yeah. And you don't want to look back on it and be like, maybe I could have done something more or yeah, have any guilt towards that. And I think even just, even if that wasn't the case, you agreeing to go back to school after something like that, two accidents in which your mental capabilities were at least at risk. The second one, it doesn't sound like it was it was that bad on your head. But yeah. just to be put in that circumstance and to say, I'm going to try and figure out a way to finish this semester is already a bigger statement than anything, any of the details of how the classes went. Mm-hmm. Because you took on this load and you said, even after all of this, and I could stop. And I would have never, if this podcast was... And I stopped there and I haven't been back to university since. It's like, who can blame you? Yeah. You've been through a lot. So to continue and now you're still here and you're, you're working through summer classes. And how many summer classes are you taking? Four. Yeah, yeah. four. So uh, so I, I knew I needed to pace myself. So I'd taken two in the fall semester. And despite the accident, I wanted to kind of push myself because I thought, okay, this was okay, but... Um, the the position that I was with at the nonprofit was uh, coming to an end. The program was closing out. Um, so at that time, I was taking two classes and working. And now I'm not going to be working. So I wanted to push myself. I didn't want to, you know, go easier on myself and just, okay, two classes, no work. That's it. No, three. So take the three classes, again, working to not use the... Um, Academic concessions? Uh, the accommodations. Right. The accommodations that uh, I have because um, I want to be on the same level as my peers. So that semester actually went pretty good. Um, you know, at the same time, there's all kinds of different things going on. Uh the the start of the pandemic uh being one uh i'm also kind of in this time period i moved in with my dad never really lived with my dad before um and my grandfather never really had that much of a relationship with him um but we moved in all together so we can take care of him because he's got um lung cancer uh, and he's got, it's metastatic, so it's spread throughout his body, and he's got brain tumors, uh, and, you know, he was in palliative care, thought he was going to pass, didn't, 
The guy's got incredible grit. Yeah. Um, so we needed to come together to take care of him because he didn't really plan for a period of time where he couldn't take care of himself. So he, in in his hometown, the, uh, I guess the long-term care facility that he could get into um, had something ridiculous, like a two-year wait list. Yeah. So, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't go in there. He can't take care of himself. He's got to, he's got to come out here. So end up getting a place together. And, you know, there's a lot of different challenges with that. Still trying to deal with, uh, I guess the disabilities that I have because of the accident, you know, it leaves you in a pretty vulnerable state financially. Cause well, you can't, you can't really work. I was working part-time is the, the maximum amount of hours I could work. And, uh, yeah, just trying to deal with all this, all the, the physical and and mental aspects of the injury, working through school, trying to take care of my grandfather, trying to, I guess, in a sense, forge a new relationship and kind of, uh, look at another relationship in a new manner. Um, and, uh, you know, then there's the start of the pandemic and, uh, no, I was pretty concerned about that. So I started preparing for that ahead of time. Yeah, you started in like January, right? Uh, it was like end of February. Okay. Um, to me, it looked like things were starting to get pretty serious. Yeah. And I wanted to get prepared um, just in case. Like I really hoped it never got to this point that we're living in now. Um, but I wanted to be uh, prepared to, uh, in a sense, provide for my family and the people around me. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's another thing that I kind of took out of my childhood and kind of, um, is a, I guess you could say a characteristic about me. It's kind of what I'm striving for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since the very beginning, you've always had that attitude towards your friends and family, this protective quality of, it's going to be me who's going to figure this out and try and protect all of you from this incoming, whatever it is. Yeah. So like I, I knew, I knew something might, might come and I wanted to do something, I guess. I mean, and that's another thing with, with the injury is um, it kind of controls you. So it kind of takes away from the control that you have. So you're just fighting for, um, fighting for things that you can control in your life. You're seeking, you're seeking it out. And it was, you know, here we are, there's this uh, infectious disease that might spread. uh, And, you know, you don't have control over a lot of things, but what is it that you can control? And that's kind of, uh, I guess, a lesson that I took from this injury was like at the beginning, here I am facing all this adversity. You know, there's all kinds of things that are outside of my control chaos yeah yeah but uh what what could i control instead of and that's that 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 took uh counseling for me to uh kind of discover that uh it's like i need to stop focusing on what i can't control and focus on what i can control and just strive 
in in that fashion of changing the things that I can control to be optimal. Yeah, and letting go of anything you can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just trying, like, acknowledging that it's there, not really giving it the time of day. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're just putting yourself through unnecessary suffering yeah. if you focus on that. So, um, yeah, there's, it was quite... There's a there's a quite a lot of weight on my shoulders that January uh like uh winter semester. So but but things went well, surprisingly. Yeah. Um especially considering the last few weeks of the semester uh so there's, online, right? yeah, there's there's no in-person classes anymore, but you know, it's kind of chaos to figure out what's going on. Um and uh, I ended. I I can't remember. It's kind of strange. I uh, had a conversation about this yesterday, but um, I can't remember how the semester ended. I just like your last class, or like well, no, like just like well, how did I do? A, how did I do the final exam? Like what what were some of the things that I needed to do to finish out the the course? I can't remember. Yeah, but uh, I finished. That's good. <laughs> um, uh, so I think I got two A's and a B. I That's think. good. So I That's was really good. I was I was quite impressed with myself, uh, and it took a lot of work. Like it, I wasn't just sitting around like hanging out. Poor me, like yeah. putting in the work. Um, so I'm still trying to march towards having my undergraduate, getting yep. my BA. So I decided to take summer semester four classes and it was it, it kind of worked out in my favor too um because like i said you know you're kind of you're not doing so hot financially so it's like okay i see myself already as uh someone that isn't very employable like it not to say that i don't have skills but i come with a lot of baggage yeah so why hire me over you know this other person yeah um because I would hope that they're hiring based on merit. Who's yeah. going to who's going to be the best fit for the position, for that position because of their skills and because how they would interact with the other employees, how they would work as a team, you know, that kind of stuff. And here I am, you know, I've got all these issues. Hey, I can only work twice a week. Uh, you have to have all these accommodations in place for me. Uh, can only work these hours and you have to give me a break whenever I want. Yeah. Like, yeah, good luck. Pretty, pretty easy going guy. Eh? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No issues with me. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, employ on the, uh, employment side. So I'm like, Oh no, like I can't really get a summer job. Uh, cause well, who the hell is going to hire me and, uh, be like, do I really want to go out and put myself at risk? Uh, I mean, I would most definitely do it, uh, for the position I had in the program that closed out in January. Yeah. A hundred percent worth it to me. Uh, but like, I, I don't want to just go out just to go out so I can make, you know, what, 600 bucks a month. Like it just, it's not there for me, risk versus reward. So, yeah. um, it just made a lot more sense to go, uh, and take summer semester work towards, uh, you know, finishing something that I really want to finish. And it kind of helps me further along with the the goals and the dreams that I have. So that's awesome. That's, that's such a good story in and of itself that 
who who thinks things through like that that's just an awesome thing to see somebody thought it through and that you said hey like under these circumstances i'm not the best like during covid and with these limitations that i'm facing right now this isn't a realistic avenue so how can i move in a different direction that still gets me somewhere and yeah. i still achieve a goal and so yeah exactly and then and then it comes down to i also thought about the risk for my grandfather he's yeah. already uh you know stage four lung cancer COVID 19 uh infectious disease that affects your lungs you get pneumonia and you die yeah uh if it goes horrible for you yeah um so like i just i don't know how i'd be able to live with myself if you know i'm going out trying to make a buck just you know to make a buck because it's really not going to put a dent in into the things that uh, i need to sustain me yeah um and then come home and give my already like really really sick grandfather an infectious disease that will kill him yeah like i just i couldn't i couldn't come to do that so yeah it just made way more sense to uh to take summer semester even though there's a lot of unknowns um and one of the i guess limitations um with my disability uh is like screen time screen time is not not very good like you can get you can trigger some pretty bad headaches with that so online school not the best online yeah. uh classes courses yeah and lectures yeah on a screen yeah so um surprisingly you know the headaches haven't gotten uh worse like pretty much still have headaches five days a week like i've had for the last what almost two years now um but uh you know i've felt the effects uh with with other issues that i have like physically so um it's it's been okay but um uh, yeah definitely definitely not ideal yeah um and here we are fall semester is going to be online so pretty much the last uh courses of my degree will more than likely be online um so it is what it is and i've just got to uh adapt and fight through it and i think that's kind of been my mindset this this whole time battling through this uh injury uh is you just you got to push you can't let off the gas i'm i have so much respect for you and i think you've come so far and i really think you're a role model for a lot of people to hear some of these ideas and hear some of these approaches and really look at implementing them because we need more people like you who are looking out at how does this impact this person how can i move forward where it's best for everyone we need more people like you mm -hmm. yeah yeah i know for sure well we just did three hours man almost three hours wow and we didn't even get to jordan peterson we didn't even get to jordan peterson <laughs> i guess you'll have to have me back one day yes i will awesome well it was great having you on thanks thank you all for listening to the show since we are a brand new podcast we have no sponsors or advertisers yet Rather than saying nothing, I thought I would call out some fantastic Fraser Valley businesses. First, I'd like to mention Beyond Nutrition. Beyond Nutrition is a fantastic nutrition store that will keep you healthy throughout this pandemic. Their staff and owner are incredibly knowledgeable and will make sure that the products you purchase really work. That doesn't occur by accident. They put a lot of time into collecting reviews and connecting with their customers. 
If you experience joint pain, stomach discomfort, or you want to optimize your health, I highly recommend going to Beyond Nutrition in Chilliwack on Vetter Road. Find them at beyondnutrition.ca. Recently, when setting up this podcast, I decided that having a diffuser may improve the conversations. I fell down a rabbit hole and asked myself, could essential oils be purchased locally? Well, I was right. I found Rustic Soap Co. and their About Us section very moving. Their son suffered from eczema, and a pre-Google search led them to dedicate their time to finding and sharing solutions. I'm currently using their foam soap, essential oils, and I'm very happy to share their story. Find them online at www.rusticsoap.com. The last product I will mention is the most important. In the 1990s in Chilliwack, we won Best Water in Chilliwack. In 2013, the city of Chilliwack began chlorinating the water. Enter Alkaline Planet. They created a water pitcher that is around $100 and $20 for the filters. They last about two to three months. Their pitcher... PH balances the water and removes the chlorine. They also have a shower filter that I always use. It fixed a lot of acne problems I was facing. I highly recommend their products if you want to improve the quality of your drinking water and improve your skin. Find them online at alkalineplanet.ca.